the Haftorah of Tazria is an amazing, amazing story of the general Naaman who becomes a Noahite. The Haftorah of Tazria is not only connected to the portion of Tazria, which talks about leprosy, but also to the days of Sfirat Omer between Passover and Shavuos, when one is supposed to refine their midot, when one is supposed to refine their character traits. And here we see how Naaman, who is a big general, very arrogant, becomes humble before Almighty God. The story is that Naaman was the general of Aram, and he now contracted leprosy. Because of this, he could no longer control his troops because nobody wanted to be around him. And so he was very disgraced and embarrassed before his army. The Haftorah goes on to say that what is the reason why he became a a Mitzorah? Why was he punished? So literally, it seems because he captured a Naira Katayna. He captured a young Jewish girl and he acted very cruel towards her and because of this he was punished. According to the Medrash, the Medrash tells us that the reason why Naaman was punished was because of his arrogance. One of the punishments for Gava, for arrogance, is Sadas. Because when you're arrogant, you think you're better than everybody and you want to control everybody and you're narcissistic, Tzedas makes you separated from everybody. And now you have to think and introspect and become humble. So Naaman is now given this spiritual malady of Tzedas. He went to all the doctors in Aram, and nobody could heal him. This girl this Jewish girl who was captured and in the house of the general, tells the general's wife that you should know there is a prophet in Israel by the name of Elisha and I am sure that he will be able to heal you. Naaman, who has no choice, goes now to the king and tells the king of Adam, I want to leave for a few days. What do you think? Should I go to this prophet? And the king of Aram says, yeah, it's a great idea. Why not? What can you lose? More than that, I will give you a letter to the king of Israel to tell him to help you out. And so he writes this letter to the king. I'm sending you my my general. And I'd like you to help him. The king at that time, the king Yehoram, who was the king of Israel from 3043 to 3055. Yehoram receives this letter. What does he do? He rips and rents his garments. He says this must be a pretext to engage in some aggression. They're looking to find an excuse to attack Israel. Why does he think I could heal this general? Of course not. And so he is too arrogant himself to turn to Elisha. Elisha being a prophet having Ruach HaKodesh sees the problem, and he sends word to the king. He said, why did you tear your garments? 
Don't you know that there is a Navi, there is a prophet in Israel? Send the general to me and I will heal him. And so the general goes with his entire entourage. And here the, the Haftorah is giving us a backdrop to tell us how arrogant he was. He wasn't going alone, but he was going with the entire entourage. And he goes now to Elisha the prophet. He doesn't go down from his horse and knock on the front door. He stands on his horse and he calls out to the prophet, come out. The prophet knew that the sin of Naaman, of the general, was arrogance. And so he needed to be humbled. Elisha does not go out to him. He sends Gehazi, he sends his servant to tell him, go and walk to the Jordan, immerse seven times, and you will be healed. What is the purpose of going to the Jordan? And what is the purpose of immersing seven times? Here, Elisha was hinting to him as follows. You are very arrogant. You need to go to the Yardin. The Yardin are the letters Yorad. You have to go down. You have to be humble. And you have to immerse seven times. You have to accept upon yourself the seven Noahide laws. Get rid of all the idols. Get rid of all your temptations. And start to serve the one God of Israel. However, at first... Naaman is too arrogant to get the message and he begins to scream and shout and says, I need to come to Israel to go to the Yardin. In Damascus, we have the Amana, we have the Farpar. These are beautiful rivers. The water is even greater than the Yardin. I bathed in them many times and I had no healing. Luckily, his servants tell him, look, you came all this way. Listen to the prophet. What could you lose? Take a bath in the yarding. Furthermore, they tell him. And they give him a, a logical argument. If Elisha, the prophet, would have told you to do something crazy, to do something wild, like slain a lion, or uproot a mountain, you would have done it. And you would have thought, this is the way to be healed. Now that he gives you something which is so easy, you don't want to do it, go ahead and do it. And so he goes into the yarding, and he immerses seven times, and he is purified. He is healed. His skin returns to him like a baby. He comes back to Elisha, and this time Elisha comes out to greet him. He tells Elisha, Now I know. There is no God in the entire land, in the entire earth. Only amongst the Jewish people. At that moment, Naaman wants to give Elisha a gift, the gift that he brought with him of talents of silver, of gold, of, of garments. And Elisha says, no, I will not take it. What is the reason that Elisha does not take these garments? Is he not willing to take a donation? And here we contrast the end of the Torah to the beginning of the Torah. The beginning of the Torah begins with Elisha accepting a donation to feed his 2,200 disciples. And he takes the bread and he gives it to them. Yet here, when he's offered a greater donation, he's not willing to take it. And here there are two basic answers. One is that he wanted to prove a point to Naaman that he's not simply a witch doctor who 
sells himself for money, but rather he is a messenger from God. <clears throat> Number two, Alicia was concerned that maybe this money came from idolatry. <clears throat> if the money comes from idolatry, you're not allowed to use it. And therefore, he did not want to have any benefit from such money. And so he tells Naaman, I'm not taking the money. Naaman asks Alicia, Alicia, can I take some earth from, from your land and bring it back to Aram, to Syria, and build over there a Mizbeach, an altar where I can serve Almighty God, the God of the Jewish people. And I will give up my idolatry, I will give up my, my own religions. And to this, Alicia said, yes, that you can do. You can take back earth to build a Mizbeach so you can serve the one God of the Jewish people. And here we see that Namo now became a Geir Toshav, he became a Noahide, he denied all other gods, all other religions, and he accepted the one God, Hashem Echod. However, he goes on to say that even though I accept one God, there will be a time that I will have to bow down to the idol. And that is when my king goes to Beis Rimon and he serves his God, his idol, he will be leaning on my hand and he will bow down. I will need to bow down with him. So please forgive me in advance for bowing down to that idol. But it's only on the external level. I don't believe in that idol anymore. And Alicia says to him, go in peace. In other words, it's okay. You can bow down. Why? Here we find a fundamental difference between Judaism and the laws of Am Yisrael in contrast to the laws of the Noahides and the nations of the world. A Jewish person is obligated to be Moshe Nefesh, he is obligated to die, rather than bow down to an idol, even if he does not believe in the idol, even if, if it's merely external to save his life, he's not allowed to do it. He'd rather die than bow down to the idol. A non-Jew, a Noahide, does not have the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem, he does not have the obligation to die for God. Yes, he has to believe in God, he has to serve God, he has to pray every day, he has to give charity. There are seven Noahide laws. But a Noahide is not obligated to give up his life for God. And therefore, if his king is holding on to his arm and is forcing him to bow down, he must bow down. He is not obligated to give up his life. And so this is the, the conclusion of the Haftorah. How Naaman started off very arrogant. He started off with the leprosy, which is a God-given malady. He now comes, he does tshuva. He repents. He becomes humble. He transforms his midot. He transforms his emotions, his attributes. The seven sfirot, which is the seven immersions in the mikvah. And because of this, he now becomes whole because he accepts God upon himself. If this is true for someone who is not from the Bnei Yisrael, someone who's from the Armenian country, that he has the power to transform himself from this state of arrogance to this state of humility, to accept God in his life and everything that he does, how much more so we have that power to transform ourselves over these 49 days that God gives us as a gift every year to transform ourselves from slavery to freedom.
there's a very powerful medrash. And the medrash says like this. There were four people who identified God and described God in their own manner. The first was Yisroi, the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu. He says, Godel Hashem Mikol Alikim. He says, <clears throat> what does Yisrael say? God is greater than all the gods in the entire world. God is greater than all the gods. Yisrael bowed down to idols and he worshipped idols and he believed that idols had a power but God is greater than all these other gods. Naaman, the general of Adam, came along and said, there's none like God in the entire earth. God on earth, there's nobody like him. Which implies that perhaps in the heavens, there are others like God. But down here on earth, there is no other besides God. Rachav, who was the one that married Joshua, she was the one that the spies came to when they looked to enter into the land of Israel. Rachav says, God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. But she does not say that God is the God of outer space. Came along Moshe Rabbeinu and he said, Know that God is Elohim. And there is no other like him in heaven and earth. Ain owed, there is none like him anywhere. Where anywhere, says the Medrash, Afilu even in the orb, in the black hole of the universe. Some translate this outer space. Some translate this even in a place of darkness, in a place where the devil and other shadim, dark spirits roam. But Hasidus says, means the black hole of creation. In other words, when God first created the world, says the Kabbalah, says the Arizal, that God filled the entire universe. He was everywhere. In order to allow a world to emerge... For man to be independent, or for woman to be independent, God needed to remove himself. And so he created a halal. He created an empty black space. There was only a little rishima, only a remnant of light, but it was totally black. There was no reality or, or true existence of God in that space. And then he allowed a kav, a line of light, a ray of light to enter into this hole. And from this ray of light, there were circles and lines and circles and lines. And God began to create the universe. He began to create all the worlds. Until he created this finite world down here known as Olam Hazer. And that is the earth, the planets, the orbits, the Milky Way, the galaxies but this is all part of the lowest world. This is all part of the physical world. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, God is not only part of the physical world, he's not part of the spiritual worlds, 
But God is even in that black hole, even in that space where there is no God, there is also God. In a time of darkness, in a time when we think about the Holocaust, in a time of a pandemic, in a time of challenges and difficulty, when things are dark, when things don't seem to be so great and rosy, there is the challenge to find God. Says Moshe Rabbeinu, even there God is also found. And that is the meaning of a leader. That is the meaning of Moshe Rabbeinu. On a personal level, for each individual, there are three levels of how to serve God. There is the heaven, God of heaven, God of earth, and God in the black space, in the black hole. We get up in the morning, our soul was in heaven. You go to sleep at night, your soul goes back to heaven to recharge. It comes back to you in the morning, you say, Thank you, God, for returning my soul from heaven. That's the first acknowledgement of God that my soul gets recharged. Number two is, God is the God of earth. I come back into the earth, I dive in, I pray every morning, I learn Torah, we're doing it right now, this is God of the earth. And then you go into the business world, the challenges of life, of earning a living, dealing with other people, some honest, some less honest. This is the black hole. This is the challenge. These are the daily obstacles that are set before us. And the ultimate challenge of Moshe, the ultimate challenge of the Moshe that is in every single one of us, that level of leadership is to truly find God in that black hole, as well. And to conclude with the story There was a Hasidic master who was living very long. He was blessed with longevity. His students went over to him and said, Rebbe, teacher, how is it that God blessed you with so many long years? What is the secret for longevity? And the Hasidic master responded as follows. He said, you know, many people have questions. They question God. God, why was there a holocaust? God, why is there pain and suffering? God, why do the evil prosper? And they have all these questions. I say to them, look, if you have a question, come up here to heaven. Come to me and we'll discuss it. And once you come up to heaven, you'll have a bird's eye view of the entire world. You'll see things my way. You will understand things totally different. And therefore, people die. They go to heaven to discuss their questions with God. Said this Hasidic master, I don't ask God any questions. You know what? I trust in him. I know there are things I don't understand. I know there are things that are difficult to swallow. I know there is hardship and darkness and suffering in the world. And I pray every day that the world should be a better world. I pray for salvation. But I don't question God. And that is the secret for longevity. And so, my dear friends, to bless each and every one of you and each and every one of us together with long life, with peace and harmony, to witness and see only a world of God's glory, of beauty and happiness and joy, and the ultimate blessing, the coming of Mashiach, salvation, Geula, speedily in our days.